Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is founder of Liz Earle Wellbeing. She's a best-selling author and a TV presenter. It is Liz Earle. (laughs) Very nice to be here. Thank (laughs) you for having me. Um, What was your upbringing like? Um, It was quite peripatetic, actually. My father was in the Navy, so we moved around a lot. So I think if you talk to any child of a service family, then you often find that there were so many moves. I think my parents moved 13 times in the first 11 years of their marriage. Wow. So as a child, that has its own difficulties because you're constantly changing schools, making new friendship groups. So I don't really have many solid memories of of that time uh, other than packing boxes and tea (laughs) chests and those kind of things from the early days and don't have many childhood friends actually from that age you know from, from sort of 11 12 onwards it gets better So when did you kind of settle? Mostly on the south coast. Mm -hmm. My father was based at Portsmouth for a while, so South Sea. But we always lived by the sea. You know, we always lived in those sort of great naval bastions Mm -hmm. of Chatham. And then we were overseas in places like Gibraltar and Malta and Plymouth and, you know, anywhere with a sea view. And that's that's what makes me happy still. Still now? Oh, I love it. Do you live near the sea at all now? No, I live on a landlocked farm in the West Country. (laughs) We have a pond. <laughs> oh, there we go. It's kind of like the sea, a little bit. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and um, what sort of mum did you think you were going to be? I don't know that I had any preconceptions, really. I always wanted to have lots of children. In fact, it was quite funny. I went back and read an old press cutting. It was one of the first ever interviews I gave. I mean, it was before I started in TV. So it was you know, it's like more than 30 years ago. And it said, which I'd totally forgotten, that one of my ambitions was to have five healthy, happy children. And I thought, heavens, God, did I really think that back then? Um, And yes, you know, now roll the clock forward. I do have five healthy, hopefully happy children. So it's an amazing thing. It must have been in there somewhere deep down that I always wanted to have a big family. Yeah. How many siblings do you have? I only have one, one younger brother. 
and we're five years apart, which is a, is a tricky gap because we didn't ever really overlap. We never really overlapped at school. Mm. He was always the annoying little brother. Mm. You know, it was only now. I mean, I adore him now and he can make me laugh like nobody else. I think there's that bond. I always say to my kids when they're really winding each other up, you know, just treasure your siblings because mm. there's those shared memories are so fundamental and little things. You know, my brother only has to look at me in a certain way or, you know, pull a funny face or remind me of something. And I'm, you know, just in fits. And I, <laughs> I think brothers and sisters do share that, that nobody else can tap into really. Yeah, I think it's that there is something quite unconditional I find about siblings. Like you, yeah, you, you learn so much from you that do. relationship. And hopefully you, you forgive each other too and, mm. and you, you can remember sort of early childhood struggles and there may be you know petty issues that you still bicker over but hopefully as you grow up you can laugh about those. So what do you reckon it was that made you want a big family? I don't know I think I love nurturing so you know one of my happy places is actually in the kitchen mm. and I love to cook and you know obviously work back now with food but I've always written recipes and recipe books and about healthy eating and that kind of thing so I think I like making things better right. and nurturing and growing and sustaining and looking after people and things mm. you know and everything big things from the planet down to sort of small things like you know gerbils when they get brought home from school oh, no. so <laughs> you know gerbils they're tricky things they are because I mean at least hamsters seem to have a personality but gerbils <laughs> I mean they just sort of scurry around like like little bald and mice quick, you know yeah. they are super quick yeah. aren't they and they have loads of babies so yeah don't believe them when the science teacher says no don't worry it's two girls and you go yeah you I really did you lied I did that to my friend <laughs> I thought I got her two boys they were not boys it's yeah, yeah. And then before you know it you've got you know eight and then 16 and yes. then you know, it just goes on and on <laughs> so I think you know coming back to your question I think you know maybe there was just something in me that always wanted to have people to look after in my own family and and career-wise, your career really kicked off, I guess, in, in terms of Lizard well-being, mm. when you already had two children? Well, yes, I started, my, my very early career started 35 years ago or so. Mm. I mean, I'm tempted to say as a small child. Clearly, <laughs> I'm not that old. Your uh, skin is obviously amazing. <laughs> well, thank you, but nice light. Um, yeah, so I'd started in journalism. I started writing for magazines. I started the junior on a, a women's magazine and then went on to write books and started doing daytime television. My mm -hmm. first TV job was with Richard and Judy on oh. This Morning 30 years ago. Oh, because I read. Didn't you have the first like live scan? Yeah, I when did. You were pregnant? I did. My daughter, who's Lily, is 28 now. She, I think, was possibly the first ever person to appear on TV before she was born. She must be because it was the, well. It was certainly the first live TV scan. Had you had a scan so, before that moment? No. Gosh, so were was, you scared going into was, that? I think I was probably quite naive. Actually, I was probably quite you know yeah, of course, interested, of course, bit, yeah. and, and we knew that you know the baby was kicking and there was a heartbeat and things. So you know, there's nothing to to worry about. And yeah, it was it was amazing. And then I remember on the early days of this morning, sitting with her up. Uh, we used to shoot it from the Albert Dock. It came live from Liverpool mm. that time from Granada. And uh, I used to do baby massage with her. And, and it's, it's great now. The community that I have, you know, at Lizard Wellbeing, who's kind of followed me, are often those people who say to me, I can remember, you know, being on maternity leave or I can remember breastfeeding in front of the daytime TV and watching you or being at home with my kids. And now they're at a similar stage of me where they've got kids who've perhaps left home. So they've got a bit more free time. Mm -hmm. Or I've also got teenagers as well. Or, you know, they've got kids who are going through different stages and presenting their own challenges. So I've got two in their 20s, two in their teens and a little one of eight <laughs> who my mother calls my autumn leaf because he was he was an unexpected blessing, shall we say. I thought he was the menopause, but no, he was um, How far into the pregnancy child. were you when you realised actually it's not the menopause? I was probably about, embarrassingly, I was probably about 18 weeks. <gasps> I know. And, you know, as a mother of four, you would have thought I had a clue. But okay, Oh, so my gosh. Here is my defence. I was very busy. I was going through, it was the time that the beauty company was being sold. Right. So if any entrepreneur or brand founder has been through that, you'll know that that is a time of intense negotiation and brain ache and legal shenanigans that goes on for a long time. And it had been going on for months and months and months. And I'd been spending a lot of time on an aeroplane going to and fro the, the United States. So I was in New York a lot. 
And, you know, that plays havoc with your cycle. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I just took my eye off the ball, really. And, and I've been told, I'd had a medical a year or so before where they'd done various blood tests mm. and they had tested my hormone levels and said, oh, no, you know, your, your progesterone is in decline, estrogen is declining, you know, you, you're, you're not going to get pregnant now. You know, I was at 47, I think. So that gave me a bit of kind of comfort thinking, well, that's fine. Don't need to worry too much. And anyway, they lied, basically. <laughs> uh, so don't believe so them. Like you still need to be careful <laughs> when you you're in your 40s. They do. And uh, yeah, and then lo and behold, you know. Well, I mean, what was your reaction when you found out? I was really shocked. Yeah. I, I was definitely in shock. Pleased shock, I yeah. have to say. Apparently, I, I did go, you know, absolutely ashen when I heard the news. <laughs> the blood drained from my face. And it was, yeah, it was extraordinary. As I say, you know, we were in the middle of selling the beauty company as well. So it was, you know, the timing was not great. Mm. In fact, I had him, the sale was supposed to go through, I think, just before Christmas. And inevitably, these things drag out. Mm. And we ended up signing in March. And I think the ink was dry the day after he was born. So, um, you know, I had to hand over my power of attorney. I didn't even sign the, the final papers, and because which in a way was a blessing because when the press got hold of it and they were trying to get quotes and, and contact me, they were saying, well, you know, why can't we speak to Liz about this? And they were saying, well, she's in hospital. She's having a baby. And that kind of just where they went, oh, OK, then we'll, we'll leave her alone. <laughs> so, you know, he was he was a blessing in many ways. It must get you through a, an odd time where life is kind of changing a little yeah, bit. Everything and, was shifting. Yeah. So it's yeah, interesting looking back on it. Curious timing. I, I don't think at the time I would have necessarily chosen it. But actually, you know, life becomes so different on mm. so many levels, doesn't it? When you have a newborn, everything shifts and, you you know, you're you're really operating in a different dimension. You have all those hormone challenges. You have your sleep deprivation. You have your euphoria euphoria hopefully you know you have all the you know other family dynamics to, yeah. to be involved with other members of the family and other siblings so it's it's a really interesting quite complicated time so when you yes when you throw in some sort of momentous business decision into that at the same time then it's yeah it's really really interesting how do the other children take the news they were thrilled my eldest daughter lily who she now works with me right actually. she's okay. my head of digital because she's very techie and she knows all about this stuff in fact she got me podcasting really? she's saying you've got to do this for me and i was like okay and i love it by the way i think it's such a great medium to be able mm. to talk to people it's a real privilege to be in somebody's ear so thank you for listening um but she was just going off to uni so she it must have been september time and, you know, she had her bags all packed. They were in the hall. Everything was ready to go. I thought, I've, I've got to tell her face to face. I can't let her go and then just have a phone call, you know, yeah, so that yeah. this wouldn't be right. So I, I said, oh, look, you know, I've got something to, I really want to talk to you about. You know, will you come and, and sit and have a cup of coffee with me? And she kind of slightly rolled her eyes. <laughs> and I think she was the kind of thinking it was, oh, here we go. It's the sex and drugs talk, you know, pre-uni. Yeah. Um, so when I actually told her, I mean, she just laughed hysterically. She thought it was so funny. I think she was part relief that she wasn't going to have to have that embarrassing sex and drugs talk with her mum. But also she just thought that's just so crazy, you know. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, one out, one in, you know. Yes. Like, OK, off you go then. I'll, um, you go to uni and, uh, yeah, your bedroom's free. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like having a newborn? Because uh, I, I, are they twenty years apart? Yeah, twenty years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's eight and she's twenty-eight. Yeah. So let's compare the first time we brought, brought mm. a newborn home to the last time. Oh God! I mean, so it's like two different worlds, isn't yeah. it? I mean, even everything about our world is different. You know, technology. Mm -hmm. I remember spending hours going around my local supermarket on a Saturday morning doing the weekly shop, and now, of course, it's all online, and you know, I have all that free time, mm -hmm. supposedly, <laughs> to, to go and do other things. So, so our landscape is very different. I think physically and emotionally the first time round it's pretty terrifying mm. isn't it and I actually started writing some of my early books on nutrition because I was keenly aware that I was feeding a new living being inside mm. me who was totally dependent on the quality of the food and nutrition that I gave myself so that really was the starting point for a lot of my early books about food and, and eating well and I think you I was so 
not paranoid, but really obsessively reading every label yeah. and trying to get lots of information about things. And you have to rewind the clock here and remember that there was no internet. There was no Google to go there get, was can no I Google. eat this egg? <laughs> you know, and, and my kids look at me now, my younger ones, and they said, how did you write a book without Google? <laughs> um, I mean, they were just completely you know, incredulous because they were all using it for homework and that kind of yeah. thing. And I said, well, do you know, we actually used to go and talk to people. <laughs> We used to go, we used to read journals and I sit in the British Library and I'd find some academic study and I'd ring them up using this thing called a phone <laughs> and we would talk to each other and, and I text. still do that. Not a text, <laughs> not an email. And I still do that. I still actually say to my young team, you've got to be old school because you cannot rely on mm. the University of Google. It, it often lies and there's a lot of dodgy information um, online. So, you know, if you've got to be in a position of trust, you've got to really always go back to the source. Maybe that was a blessing because as a new mum or, you know, somebody who was pregnant didn't have access to all the scares either. So, you know, there wasn't that sort of winding up of information when there's so much scaremongering, Mm. so much misinformation. Well, I guess that's part of why you would have had a scan live on TV. You you weren't aware of anything like that, really. Let's go for it. That sounds good. Yeah. So, you know, different. And and I think by the time number five came along, you know, I'd kind of been there and done it. And I knew that if I left him alone for 15 minutes and he was crying, but actually he didn't need a nappy change or feeding or winding, actually he would be fine. And I could actually just go and have a quick shower and then go back to him, you know, without (laughs) having him kind of strapped to me permanently, which is probably how I lived with Lily in the early years. So I I think I was more relaxed. And also, I think for me, you know, he was definitely the last one. Right. There there was no question (laughs) that there were going to be any more after him. So, I, you know, I felt that he was an extraordinary gift and that that time I had with him was very special. And especially having sold the beauty company literally days before, I suddenly had this time Mm. um, when I, you know, was able to enjoy him. I remember my husband saying to me at the time, you know, this is a really special time for you. This is your time. Really enjoy it. Because I think with all the others, I'd gone back to work really quickly and carried on working. And I think certainly with my teenagers, as any entrepreneur or brand founder will tell you, you just carry on. Mm -hmm. And you don't know. I remember going to hospital with Lily with my laptop. I was just finishing my first book at the time. And I thought, well, this is fine because, you know, I'll probably have a baby in the morning and (laughs) then I'll just carry on. You know, I've just got the last half chapter to write and that will be fine. You know, I mean, what was I thinking? But of course you don't know. You know, you're completely unprepared. And Um, that is that thing. You don't want to take your foot off the, you know, accelerator. You want to keep going. You don't want everything that you've been working towards. You can't suddenly stop when it's yours. Well, some things, absolutely. You know, some things, particularly in the early days when, you, you know, you're a startup, that's it. Yeah. There is nobody else who can do it. So, How lovely, though, that you were just able to, you're so at the I point could. where you could just enjoy it. I really could. And, and you know, we, as I said before, we, we live on a farm in the West Country and it was spring. He was born in March and it was, everything was just blossoming and bursting into life and mm-hmm. the birds were singing. And you know, it was just sort of like some Disney film. It was really, <laughs> it was a really good time. <laughs> and how was it bringing the baby home and having four other older helping hands. Oh, hand. fantastic. Really? I mean, they all wanted to be part of it and I wanted them to feel part of it. So they all had, you know, different skills and strengths and even the youngest, I think, what's the difference in age? Seven years. So my middle son, you know, even age seven or eight, mm. you know, he could still find a really helpful role. You know, mm. he could, you know, get me a glass of water if I was feeding or, you know, help find things or help rock his little brother. And, you know, so he felt really part of it and really included. And I don't think any of them felt usurped in any way or disadvantaged. I think they were all really excited by this unexpected new arrival in their lives. I imagine there must be another part of, with the, with the fifth being a newborn, it's something you've done before. Whereas actually, with the others, you're going through stages that you wouldn't have experienced, like the older ones going off to uni and stuff. Yeah. You were going through new things with those. So actually, with the baby, you've been there, you've done that, you can relax with that. Actually, this stuff that's going on over here yeah. is all new. Yeah, slightly sort of automatic mm. in a way. And there's a reassurance in that, um, you know, knowing that if you do things, just use common sense and, and just not be too wound up by stuff. And, and give yourself plenty of time. I remember the best piece of advice I ever had in the early days 
was do not get dressed for at least a month. Mm. You know, whenever anybody comes and sees you, make sure that you're in your pyjamas because there is that kind of then that visual signal to whoever's visiting you, you know, even a well-meaning friend or anybody that actually you are fragile. Mm. You know, you, you are still sensitive in lots of ways, physically and emotionally and, and mentally. And you need a bit of cosseting and, and looking after. Don't struggle back into your your Spanx and your high heels and your pencil skirts and your mascara because actually you do need to give yourself and your brain, I think, time to, to just come back after what's been a nine-month process. And, you know, they often say that, you know, with things like hormonal change, it takes as long for your hormones to settle as it did for them to, to rev up in the first mm. place. So if you've got a nine-month build-up, then you can expect at least a nine-month wind down to get yourself back to that pre-baby situation. Yeah. And I think it's madness to think that you could do it in in nine days. I always feel desperately sorry for, you know, any of the duchesses who have to stand on mm. the on the steps of the hospital, you know, hours after giving birth, looking immaculate for the world's press. Mm. I just jolly well hope they go home and, you know, oh, they kick must. everything off and just <laughs> collapse in bed for a fortnight. <laughs> That's got move. to be why they do it, though. Immediately it? on that. Do it then. Or your endorphins are just yeah. raging. And I, but I think there's this there's pressure that we put on it ourselves for when people come over, we want to appear like we've got it all sorted, like we know yeah. what we're doing. So part of that is putting on that mascara, getting dressed, yeah. and, you know. But don't. No. Just, just really don't. And take every offer of help. You know, if anybody says, can I, you know, before they've even finished their sentence, you say, yes, absolutely. <laughs> of course you can walk the dog, bring me a pie, make me a cup of tea, hold the baby while I wash my hair, you know, whatever. Yeah. Of course. You just take... You know, I think in the early days, you know, I wanted to do so much more just on my own. I guess there's that sense of wanting to prove it, that you can do it and you're yes. capable. Yeah. But actually, it's really, it's better for everybody and for your mental health, I think, to let other people in as quickly as possible. Mm. What do you think has been the most challenging stage of being a parent? Well, I hate to say this because I know that you have a lot of listeners who have babies and toddlers. <laughs> But it does not get any easier. <laughs> you know, I think the hardest stage is probably teens. Mm -hmm. And even late teens, you know, my, my teenagers now are 16 and 18. So we're going through next summer's next spring is going to be fun because it's GCSEs and A-levels. Right. So we've got double whammy and then summer with results and all of that. So, that you know, the choices they, they make from everything, from friendship groups to how they live their lives, to the sports they play, to you know, who they hang out with. You know, these are quite fundamental life-changing decisions mm. that they make. And when you throw into that all the complexities of modern-day life and all the temptations and the traps that you can fall into, when they message you, and that's the other thing, you can't just put them down or leave them on a play date because, you know, sure, you could drop them off somewhere, but then they're on the text or the WhatsApp <laughs> going, oh, by the way, you know, could you just do this? Could you just... And if you don't re reply immediately, it's, sorry, did you get my message? <laughs> You know, sorry, could you just transfer the money into my bank now? Because otherwise I'm not going to be able to get that train. And by the way, could you pick me up from the station at quarter to midnight? So it really is a challenge. And, and looking back with babies and, and toddlers, you know, yes, it's tough, but at least they tend to go to bed much earlier. Mm -hmm. They don't keep you awake until midnight and don't potentially worry you so much. And, and I think being there to guide older children and to help them make sensible life choices. You know, I had to sit and have many a long discussion about my daughter when she decided that she was going to get married. Mm. And I felt she was too young. And so, you know, we had serious conversations over a long period of time. And as her mother, I felt deeply responsible that I needed to be there as a parent. Mm. And I'm, I'm actually a great believer in being a parent and not a friend. Yeah, We have loads of friends. They only have one mother. Mm. And that's a big responsibility. And, I, you know, you've got to step up for that as a parent. And they may go through phases where they really don't like you. But that's fine. Is as that long as they always love though? you. Is that difficult to go through when you're, you know, there are phases that, especially with girls, I think. Yes. I, well, I think, you know, and boys too with hormones. You know, yeah. There's a lot of door slamming when they're oh, teenagers, yeah. you know, and, and humping. And, you know, that my that my teenage son, he probably will never hear this. So this is just as well. But, you know, he's he's 16 and his main method of conversation is with a. Mm. You know, that's mm. you say, you know, for anything, the answer, mm. 
Oh, you're hungry. Would you like something to eat? No. I mean, it just goes on. I said, you are like living with a herd of wildebeest in my kitchen because <laughs> that's exactly the noise that they make. And you do kind of tune into it as an adult as to whether it's, you know, a kind of positive or negative. Mm-hmm. But, and they do <laughs> like come out the other side. Cry. Like hearing a newborn cry. I yeah. know what this is. I yeah. know what this is. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know when it's a really serious one or when it's just a wah. <laughs> and I know with him not to panic because he's got a 25-year-old brother. Mm. And I know that he will stop grunting. You know, he will not grunt forever. He will he will recover his vocabulary and he will go on and be that really cheerful, charming boy that he was you know, 12 months ago. It must feel horrible, though, when you do kind of lose them a little bit. But having said that, you have the experience of them, them coming back. They so come back. They are they are boomerangs, kids. They, you know, they really do come back to you, I think, especially now when it's so expensive living away from home. And why wouldn't you come back if there's going to be a hot meal and a washing machine and, you know, a <laughs> place to kind of hang out for a while? So I think our children are returning more than ever. And it's also hugely rewarding when you can start doing things together. I love that stage of mm. being able to go to exhibitions and, you know, have some theatre tickets and ring up, you know, one of my four kids and say, you know, do you fancy coming? But how do you choose which one? Oh, uh, well, they've all got different interests. Okay. So I have to be very diplomatic. But you're absolutely right. You do have to share it and be seen to be very fair. Mm. I remember my middle son, I'd done something with Lily and he said, yeah, but she's your favourite. You always do that. Oh. And I was like, oh, gosh, OK, I need to watch myself there. And I think because we work together, there is that tendency that I'm often talking about her or to her. Mm. And so I thought, right, OK, I just need to just be very measured in, in what I say. You know, I used to say to Lily, oh, you know, you're my loveliest or whatever. And now I say, oh, you are, you know, my lovely. And I say that to my teenage daughter as well. Right. because, And it's very tempting to go, oh, you know, you're loveliest one or whatever. And you just think, actually, it's just a simple turn of phrase. I don't yeah. mean necessarily you are the loveliest, but just watch what you say. Because I think especially teenagers, they are so tuned to nuances mm. and they will take little things and perhaps take them out of context. And it's... Really important, you know, it's like you would never say, you know, well, you look a bit fat in that or whatever, you know, because that then, you know, you're so aware, aren't you, that triggering. And that's you know, the thing, isn't it? I think coming from a mum, when your mum says something to you, it yeah. punches much more than anyone else. Well, you'd like to think so. And yet when you say other things, <laughs> they, it goes completely over their head. So I don't know. They, they probably take hold of the bad stuff and cling on to it like we do. You know, yeah. if you're reading all your social media and you know, there's the one negative comment, that's the one that resonates. And yet, you know, all the others are, you know, marvellous and you and you kind of ignore. So it's probably the same with your mum. It's that, that one thing that, that you'll remember. And mm. all the times she said that you're so lovely and brilliant and fab, you know, they just ignore that. Yeah. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. 
It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Can you believe that you've got two adults as children? No, not really. I think... I think that's the thing with ageing. You know, I'm in my 50s now and I certainly don't feel it. I don't feel any different from when I was in my 30s, say. And I probably hopefully know a little bit more and I'm maybe a bit more measured and, you know, aware that things will pass. I think Mm. there is my publishing business is pretty much a startup. So it's quite odd to be in the stage of life where having gone through, you know, building big businesses, selling, going back into startup mode, I don't panic as much as I used to. And in fact, somebody said to me not that long ago, will it matter in two years? And I thought, oh, that's an interesting question. And if the answer is no, then, well, why is it mattering now? You know, why are you bothering to give it headspace? I mean, if it's, absolutely, if it's going to matter in two years, then seriously, let's get on it and deal with it. But if it's just one of those little niggly things that's winding you up for no reason, you know, <laughs> let it go. But I think, you know, do we ever feel our age? I don't know that we do. Mm. I think hormones are something that I've written a lot about recently. And I think they have play a, such a huge impact in, in our lives. And we often don't realise as women, I don't think, that we're in the middle of some kind of hormonal turbulence. I only recently was told when I was writing a book about the menopause that actually our oestrogen levels dramatically decline just after we've had a baby. Oh, okay. And that can trigger all sorts of things. Right. You know, that's going to trigger pelvic health issues. It's going to trigger things like incontinence and urinary tract infections and cystitis and all these things that, you know, I can remember um, suffering from and nobody ever really talking about it. Mm. And nobody ever talked about hormonal health. I've, you know, having had five children. So I've had five opportunities with GPs and midwives and health visitors and obstetricians and all of that. Five opportunities for somebody to say to me, by the way, Liz, you know, when you get to your mid 40s, your hormones will shift and you might start to feel a bit different. You know, you might have a low mood, you might feel a bit irritable, you might not sleep as well. Don't worry, it's just your hormones shifting and your oestrogen declining and you can, you know, take oestrogen if you want to top it back up. There are lots of things that we can do. Nobody ever said that to me. Mm. And, you know, writing about the menopause and the perimenopause, which is the time leading up to it, it made me really realise how we are often hostage to our hormones and how important it is to recognise that and, and to discuss it. You know, it's, it's great. We have podcasts and lots yeah. of information here on pregnancy and babies and post-birth and postnatal depression and breastfeeding and toddlers and, you know, all those wonderful things. But when you get to midlife as a woman and you start talking about menopause, there is this deafening silence. Isn't it funny? Because you think everyone, like with motherhood, some people will, some people won't. But Everyone every will go woman, through menopause. Yeah. Every, every woman who lives yeah. long enough will have a menopause. And you know, as you say, absolutely not every woman will have a baby. So for me, it seems like the last taboo. Yeah. And there are people are beginning to talk about it more, I think, because there are more successful, high-profile women in the media who've gone through it mm-hmm. and who are going, hey, sisterhood, you need to know about this because there's a lot that we can do. And again, a lot of myths and scaremongering. So... I kind of feel really energised to to try and talk about health for midlife women now, you know, being one myself and seeing so many girlfriends suffering when they shouldn't be. Yeah. And talking about hormones, how have you managed sort of, we talk a lot about maternal mental health now as well, Mm. in all of your five pregnancies, how were you? Because I've just had my third and actually I was surprised to find that I had a dip this time round. Really? Yeah. And I just had a really, and I was surprised because you just think, I know what I'm doing. Mm. And then actually all of a sudden I feel really low. Mm. And, and I think it me. doesn't matter, you know, what you know. And again, it comes down to hormonal mm. impact. And none of us can legislate for that. We, we don't know it's going to come. And I think very often we don't know how we are until we come out the other side. You know, mm. I remember probably about three months after I stopped breastfeeding thinking, oh, Oh, right. So that's how I feel. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) This is who I am. And, you know, I'd been in this sort of fog without realising it. Quite Mm. happy, but not realising actually that I didn't have very much memory and that, you know, I was probably oversensitive. So I think, you know, it's hard. I think we are often in the middle of it. I, I was fortunate I didn't get 
postnatal depression. I think um, there are lots of different factors as to why women do. Sometimes it can be um, you can have nutritional deficiencies implicated. You can have genetics. You can have you know circumstance. So many different things. They're still mm-hmm. even now beginning to unravel it all. As I, you know, I know you know. So I think I was I was very fortunate. And I think one of the key things that I've discovered throughout life, actually, when it comes to mental health, and I'm, I'm sure it's applicable for pregnancy and post-pregnancy even more so, is quality of sleep. Yeah. You know, Which you've is so difficult, though. got to protect your yeah. sleep. You really have. And, you know, if you can do split shifts feeding at night, which is what I always did, I literally came out of hospital with an expressing machine, even back in the day when they were kind of big, bulky, battery-operated things, <laughs> because to be able to express milk and then know that I could get six hours sleep mm. and that somebody else, my mum was brilliant. She came for all of them. She came to really? stay for the first few weeks. And, you know, I said, are you sure? You know, is, is this you know, too much? You know? And she said, actually, it's such a special time. She said, it's such a privilege to be the only one in a quiet, dark house. And it's just me and a newborn baby. And she said, it's only for a few weeks and that time will pass. And if I know that I'm also helping you at the same time to rest for the rest of the day. So that was really fantastic teamwork, actually. And I do think about that now sometimes when I look at Lily, who's 28. And she's always said that she won't have any children until she's 30. So I'm kind of thinking, hmm, 18 months. Don't know that I'm quite ready to be a granny. I mean, I think mentally, yes, yeah. hopefully. And, and I would love to be able to give that support. And again, you know, offer to sit up in the mm. small hours of the night when it's dark and the house is quiet and have the opportunity to to feed and walk up and down with a, you know, rocking a baby. Newborn oh. baby is special, isn't it? It is and special. it And it goes so quickly. Mm. But I think, yeah, I think protecting your sleep, whatever stage of life yeah. you can. And that's why I'm not a fan of having children in, in the bedroom you know, I have a sofa at the end of my bed and, you know, all my kids know and they have known since, you know, day one, that if ever they're sick or whatever, of course, they can come in. You know, they can snuggle down and be in the same room or if they're ill or if they're frightened or whatever, you know, have a night terror. But generally, they, you know, you've got to have your own space for them as well. You know, it's really important that that deep REM sleep, which is when our brain rests and our body regenerates, you achieve that when you're in, you know, pretty much on your own in the dark and no sound so make the room as dark as possible you know yeah. I have blackout lining on the blackout <laughs> lining just to make sure that it's, it's really dark and it makes a difference and then it, it sets you up for the day ahead you know both mother and child mm. it's interesting you mentioned night terrors because mm. we're going through that with Are my you? second yeah and how old He'll be three in February yeah really just suddenly out of the blue yeah mm. it's really tough and does he sleepwalk no. Yeah, because mine, mine used to sleepwalk. You know, I catch them halfway down the stairs. Oh, really? And, you know, as if they were in some sort of suspended animation TV game. Like, no, no, get away from me, get away oh, from yeah, me. Oh, yeah, no, I, he does that. Yeah, yeah. And, and you try and talk to them and they've got their eyes open, mm-hmm. which is really scary. But they can't really see you. They're, mm. they're still in, in deep brain sleep. Yeah. So you just sort of have to very gently guide them back to bed and, you know, cover them with a duvet and just chat to them and stroke their hair. And mm. and eventually it passes. And it has, you know, I can tell you with experience anyway, as far as I'm concerned, you know, both of mine have been through it. Both boys, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I don't know whether there's any studies showing that that's Do you know more... what age they were when they started? Mm, probably about four or five. Mm. Yeah. It's just so frightening, isn't it? Awful. And and you really want it to pass. And again, it's disrupting their sleep. Yeah. So they're then crabby the next day. And it's disrupting your sleep if it happens in the middle of the night. Mostly mine were actually late at night. So it used to be kind of 11 o'clock just as I was going to bed. So that's not so bad. But yeah, really, really bad. We used to sleep with a baby alarm until they were, you know, five or six. Oh, really? Just so that we could really hear in case there was something. Yeah. It's a funny moment, actually, when to take the monitor out. Yeah. <laughs> tweet, tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think ours didn't go until they were, all of them are probably about five. Mm. And you think, actually, you know, you're really capable of getting up and just coming in and, and walking in if there's a problem. And you just yeah. have to put all those stupid thoughts out of your head. But, you know, what if they choke silently and I can't hear you? you know? 
And you, you never stop worrying. That's the thing, you know, when you're a parent. It's, I mean, I worry about my 28-year-old. She gets the train and I say, you know, you will text me, won't you, when you get there? Because there is always that lifetime of worry. <laughs> yeah. And my mum says the same to me. And I say, oh, I'm 55 years old. I don't need to text you. And she says, well, I just worry that you haven't got home. <laughs> but the thing is, I think when they're, when they're going off to school, when they go to uni, like it's all different stages of independence. Yeah. And does Lily, has she moved out? Is she in her Yeah, I mean, she's married. married. She, yeah, yeah, she, she got married. married. <laughs> she did get married. And it was lovely. And I'm thrilled. And he's great. He's like my sixth child. Like, I, like I have another son. So I'm, I'm really very, very happy. You know, you, you just, you always worry, don't you? I mean, that's just, that's just what you sign up to. Yeah. And I think it would be unusual if you didn't. But I think you also have a sense of perspective, perhaps. And these days, with communication mm -hmm. and with WhatsApp or whatever, you know, messaging, FaceTime, whatever, you know, it's just so easy to have that immediate reassurance. You know, I can remember I lived in New York for a year when I was 18 and I probably wrote about three letters in the year that I was there. Home can to you my imagine parents. that now? Like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I just can't imagine my 18-year-old, I can't imagine my 28-year-old, let alone my 18-year-old going off and me not saying, well, well, did you make it? I mean, are you there? <laughs> I mean, what's it like? You know, tell me, what did you do today? You know, how's the subway? Are you safe? What are you doing? So it's extraordinary. We used to head off into the great unknown. We had no mobile phones. You'd arrange to meet somebody. You'd say, okay, next Thursday, I'll, I'll pick you up from the train at this time. And you didn't check. You know, there was no way of checking and you got there and you just kind of knew that that person would be there and that they wouldn't forget and that there wouldn't be something else that got them distracted. And and if there was a problem, then you'd have to go and find a phone box and then try and dial the number. And did you have any change? And I mean, the whole, whole thing was just totally, totally another world. Yeah. I think it does make it easier to worry less. But then we're also more aware of so many tragedies and, mm. and dreadful things that happen that beam themselves in, you know, minute by minute onto our phones that it also makes us perhaps a bit more aware of the dangers and the downside as well. Yeah. You set up your business, am I right, when you had two children at home? Beauty business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I set it up with my good friend and we both had young children <laughs> when we set it up. We're at home. We've got some time. <laughs> <laughs> Three kids between us. Well, Why not? One of those things, you know, it did seem like a good idea at the time. And, and it clearly was because yeah. we built it into one of the Britain's biggest independent beauty brands. But when you are a startup, you don't know where that journey's going. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody intentionally sets out to build a massive multinational company. I mean, maybe a few people do, but certainly none of the startups I've been involved with have ever started out that way. You started up because you have a passion for something and you believe that you can do it and make a difference. Mm. It would have been interesting if somebody had said to us at the time, oh, you do know, you know, what this will turn into. Because it just, it grew so quickly that I had to stop writing. I stopped my TV work and just everything went into the beauty company, which was an extraordinary journey and I learned a lot from it. But mm. I'm, I'm very glad now to be going back to my original roots of yeah. doing what I love best. And how was it juggling, you know, building that business? And I think in the early days it was hard and it's better now, again, because of technology. So even little things like I live on a farm. So on a Monday I have Skype conference calls with my team. Some of us are working remotely. Some of my team are in my offices in, in Battersea. Some are, are working from home or from abroad if they're off on a trip somewhere. And yet we'll all connect and we can all see each other and look each other in the eye and, and show bits of paper and pictures and illustrations. You know, that was just, you know, unheard of. Nobody mm. would even, you know, if you wanted to go and talk to somebody or have a meeting, you had to physically go. So there was a lot of commuting for mm -hmm. people, I think, for, for young mums as well. Really difficult having to get on a train and having to get into that commute and that rush hour. And I say to my team now, you know, please don't commute. You know, I really don't want you to have to battle through and arrive at work completely frazzled and worn out and exhausted. <laughs> you know, I'd much rather, if you want to work from home, that, you know, you're sitting in your pyjamas at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, ready to crack on than, than arrive, you know, at nine o'clock. Mm -hmm exhausted and demoralized and you know tired and broke and all the other things that yeah. you know that, that commuting can do so I think there's a lot that, of, that technology gives us now that makes it much easier for, for working women mm. looking back I think it would have been a lot easier for us was it difficult as the beauty business grew juggling the, the with your family life though yeah I think it definitely I think it was you know we didn't have any roadmap I certainly found it easier with the the second tranche if you like of teenagers <laughs> as, as they are now having having done it all before 
I think it's it's always a juggle. You know, you talk to any woman who is is trying to do the best for her family and for her colleagues and for her brand if she you know if she's working as an entrepreneur it's tough because you've got to hold it all together and it doesn't matter who you are and you can I've interviewed the most senior board women and politicians and academics and you know Nobel Prize winners you, you know they do all of this for their work and they look after their families and if there's no milk in the fridge it's still their fault mm. you know that, that's that's kind <laughs> that's of the bottom so line true. isn't it at home yeah. it's like well where's the cat food <laughs> so I, I, sorry, I, I've just been to Bern I've just got this Nobel award I was, oh sorry no, no, no milk <laughs> right, I'll just go and get some then you know so, so there is that kind of mindset that mm. women have to to do it all and I think hopefully being the mother of boys bringing them up to be a bit more self-reliant and a bit more job sharing and and realizing that actually you know there is it, it is split it's equal duties and you have to take responsibility for what's in the fridge just as much as I do so how does the house run when you're not there it, it doesn't run too badly actually and I think most of it turns up online so that's, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a regular order where we are in the country we've got a really brilliant village shop so mm-hmm. you know after the school run that's usually the, the drop-in to yeah. pick up stuff that needs for the day I work my work diary around the school calendar. So I'm one of those really annoying mothers that will ring the school office on the 1st of September and say, so sports day in July, uh, next July. So that would be when, you know, because these are <laughs> the critically important days yeah. to get in the calendar and you have to ring fence them. And I, I can't bear it when my kids bring home a note saying, oh, and by the way, you know, the school play is going to be on Wednesday. And, you know, we'd love to have you there. And you think, yeah, well, I've just, you know, I've got a board meeting or a plane ticket or some really important thing that is going to mean that I can't be there. So I am quite proactive in trying to find out when all these key dates are. So they go in first and then everything else gets populated around it. And and I try and do my travelling during term time so I'm not missed as much and then I try and be based much more at home on the farm during holidays. I guess because that's the thing, isn't it? If you're working, because you now live in London mostly Tuesday to Friday morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to come up on Tuesday morning and go back Friday morning. That is what I try So if do. they're at school for the majority of that day anyway. Yeah. and they've got after-school clubs yeah. and homework and so it's... And we often... You know, we'll we'll sit down and again, the great benefit of having Skype or FaceTime or whatever, I'll have my laptop open mm-hmm. while they're sitting doing homework and showing so me stuff. Together. Yeah. <laughs> or eating supper together. Yeah. And then I might, you know, have to go out to a function or something and they you know, they're going off and seeing their friends or Was it difficult finding yourself in that place though? Was it difficult getting there? Do you know what I mean? Because you don't just suddenly go, right, I'm going to do this and it's going to be easy. You can't, yeah, it takes I think I've always, and... well, I don't know. I mean, for me, work-wise, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. So mm-hmm. I've always been pretty much self-employed. So even in the early days, I was always freelance, writing, you know, doing TV work. And then, you know, running beauty company with my business partner and, and co-founder. So I guess I've always been quite self-reliant and self motivated to do that and you know what I would say to anybody who is thinking about having a business or or starting a business is try and be with like-minded people Mm -hmm. you know you touched on the fact that Kim and I had children of the same age we both had young children and that really helped because we knew that the day would run we would get up do the school run then we'd be back and we this was before internet so we'd kind of be faxing each other or calling each other and then at three o'clock we'd stop mm-hmm. and we'd go and do the school pickup tea bath and bed and then we'd pick up again <laughs> so the, 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 yeah the day would start again exactly <laughs> yeah. about seven o'clock and then it would just carry on into the evening so I think if I'd been with you know kind of at that time the archetypal city whiz who said well well what do you mean it's three o'clock and, and you're, you're going home you know not understanding that yeah. or n- not understanding me saying I'm really sorry but it's a parent teachers and I've just got to get there and I'm just not going to make that meeting but she and I because we were in the same place would be completely understanding go yeah sure of course you know that's you go and we'll pick up later that's so, great because what's there's a whole big sort of flexible working campaign that's happening now mm. and and you're doing you've that you're practicing that because of where you where you've come from and and you're it's so important to get those key moments in the diary and to be able to enjoy life not just to feel like you're constantly it doesn't work for anybody mm. otherwise you know I, I love having women in my team because we are 
we tend to be, I mean, this is a huge generalisation, so apologies, but we tend to be the natural nurturers. And as I say, multitasking, you know, we do have to flip really quickly between issues at home and work and school and kids and our own personal stuff. So I think in my experience, I found working with women preferable for that kind of agility and that natural nurturing. They really care about their team. You know, they really care about the brand they're working for. And there is that that sense of wanting to, to nourish and protect and care. And whether that's a genetic thing or a hormonal thing, I don't know. And I actually like making life really easy for working women. And I think if we can, you get, because ultimately, selfishly, as, as an employer, you get better results out of people. Mm. You know, it's like not having everybody schlep in on the commuter run. You know, you, you are, who do you want? You, you want that person who's going to deliver you that really cracking piece of work that's going to get you the contract or, or really inspire and inform somebody. And how best do you achieve that? You have to say, okay, so what's the objective? How best do we achieve this? Not... I've got a round peg and I'm just going to try and shove it into this you know, square hole mm. to make it fit because that's the way we've always done it and that's the perceived norm. And in my experience, the people I've worked with have always been so appreciative of that, that they've worked harder and faster mm -hmm. uh, and better and healthier and had fewer sick days and, and just generally been happier. Yeah. So the whole kind of the humanity angle of it is better. I want to be surrounded by happy people. I don't want to feel that you know, I'm making life difficult for anybody no. who's working with me when there is that element of everyone wanting like you said to feel like they can do it all and actually if you give them a helping hand you know what i mean it just makes yeah. life easier so it doesn't feel like a chore like you're constantly doing yeah, everything constantly all the time pushing and, go, go, go. And, and shoving and you know i get this uh, this question a lot you know is it possible to have it all because mm. you know, it's very easy to look off the outside and go oh you know you've got it all career and kids and success and all these things and i said well you know it depends what you mean by it all mm -hmm. you know how much do you want <laughs> because <laughs> that, that's the ultimate isn't it what do you really want you know what you work out you know what's important to you and then absolutely if you can have all of that and you know I've got a you know hopefully healthy happy family and a, an incredibly rewarding and absorbing job and you know great community of people and for me yes absolutely that is that is having it all mm. Obviously, a lot of what you do, you focus on nutrition as well. Mm. How much have your children listened to that <laughs> over the years? <laughs> um, I think increasingly, I think I think they do listen. They're aware of it, certainly. Mm. That I mean, you can't miss, can you, that the health messages. And I know my little one came back from school. They'd been doing some study on sugar and he wanted to download this app so that he could be, I think it's called Sugar Smart or something, and you can, you know, scan the, mm. the, the barcodes on things and check sugar content. So so I think they, they are aware. I think when I was writing my book about gut health, I had to train them not to chuck things out that were in the fridge. They because really? Well, because I'd be fermenting loads of stuff <laughs> and making kefir, which is, tastes like sour milk. So they go, oh, no, this is off, and chuck it away. And I'd say, no, I've just spent six days culturing that ferment and that's <laughs> down the drain. So I think they... they they are aware of it. And I I do sort of sneak stuff in. And my little one does sort of look at it and go, hmm, is this healthy? And I go, yeah, well, you know, kind of a bit. Um, but they get used to it. Yeah. Um, I think they've, they don't have as sweet a tooth perhaps as they used to. Or certainly I notice with with friends who come around, you know, if they've, they've got a child staying overnight, you know, I'll notice that the kids will ladle extra sugar onto, you know, plain cereal. Where's mine? We'll just eat a bowl of plain cereal because yeah. that's never been the option. Mm. So I think it's what you grow up with, isn't it? And what you're used to. Yeah. Well, and also I think you find out things along the way. And also I think being in London, you kind of are probably a bit more aware yeah, of things. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And, and I think that the key thing I've discovered with writing about gut health was the link with mental health. Oh, really? And making sure that I pack my teenagers full of probiotics. Mm. You know, there is this massive connection between our gut and our brain. And it's connected by the vagus nerve. It's the biggest nerve in the body. And they used to think that our neurotransmitters were just in the brain. We now know that they're in the gut as well. And 70% of our serotonin, which is our happy hormone, is produced in the gut. So really important that we focus, particularly in terms of anxiety and low mood and depression, with getting a happy, healthy gut. Now, things that will disrupt that are things like antibiotics. So if you've ever had a course of antibiotics, really important to get your gut health back on the straight track. And then, you know, things like aspartame. We don't have any aspartame in the house ever. 
um, because it's been shown to disrupt your microbiome, your, your gut health. And eating lots of foods that will protect and build your gut flora. Mm. So having things like plain live yogurt, you know, from an early age. My kids literally, they grew up on plain live yogurt. Now they've graduated onto kefir, which is, you know, similar, but um, a little bit more potent. So really important. And I have seen my teenagers, their mood shift and improve by improving their gut health. Mm. And I think that's also really important for babies as well. And I mean, one of the reasons we know that breastfeeding is so important is the amount of beneficial microbes and bacteria that come through colostrum, particularly in the first early days. And if you can't do that, then or provide that, then it's even more important that, that you make sure that your baby has their gut bacteria proliferated with beneficial good bugs. As soon as, um, you know, your health visitor says it's okay, start things like plain live yogurt mm. and kefir and some of the fermented foods. When you used to take your kids to like parties and stuff, mm. like kids parties, and there were sweets everywhere, did part of you inside want to go, no, <laughs> don't go near the flying saucers? <laughs> I think the thing that really affected my children, and I've noticed more than anything, are the coal tar dye colours. Okay. So the tartrazines, the sunset yellows, and you know when my elder two were growing up, that was literally all there is, or that all there was, and they used to go completely haywire, a packet of Smarties, and it would just be a nightmare for the rest of the day. Now you can buy things with natural colouring, mm-hmm. so you can use things like um, anatto and beetroot as natural turmeric is used as food colouring. So that has made a massive difference, and there are still, unfortunately, way too many brands out there that are using coal tar dyes. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to get to grips with your e-numbers and it's such a simple thing to exclude for children yeah and that does wind me up a bit if I go because now I'm still you know still going to children's parties <laughs> eight-year-olds um, has the know. food changed over the years um not much oh, you know it's still packets of hula hoops yeah. and uh, I, I tend to do you know traditional children's parties so you know jelly and ice cream and stuff except it'll be you know flavored with you know, beetroot colouring rather than mm. tartrazine. So I think I think you can make different choices. But yeah, you know, understand there is an impact. If, you know, having a massive sugar rush combined with coal tar dyes is going to have a seriously negative effect on your child's behaviour. It is quite likely. I mean, you mm. may be one of the fortunate few who can get away with it, but I've yet to meet a child who's not whose behaviour is not adversely affected by that, that really um, potent combination. Mm. It's always troubling when they go to school, isn't it, though? Because you can do as much as you can at home. Yeah, I think schools are getting better. Oh, I do. I do. They, I they really are. I think they've got, they went through a bad patch. But I think now, you know, banning bending machines. And I think the more we find out about things, you know, things like, you know, the diet drinks, for example, and aspartame, already that you can see the big brands have started to screen it out and offer alternatives containing things like stevia, which is the herbal sweetener, which comes from a leaf that's just naturally sweet. And, you know, we can see the big companies moving into that area because they know. They, mm. they, they know the research. They can see the writing on the wall long term. So I think, you know, if we can get that kind of out of school and out of mainstream. And that, that's one of the biggest changes, I think, is the rise of, of the lunchbox. And it's just kind of considered normal to have a can of fizzy drink, a bag of crisps mm. and a chocolate bar and a sandwich. And that's kind of your normal every day. It's like, what? We have to look at a meal deal in most in most shops. A meal deal is a sandwich, like crisps. Yeah, drink, crisps. Like, you know. and, 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 a, and a fizzy, are you joking? I mm. mean, that's, you know, I'm not speaking to sound like my mother, but, you know, when I was growing up, I can even remember with Lily, you know, when she's now 28, so we're only going back kind of 25 years. But a packet of crisps would have been your Saturday treat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was kind of... And even then, I, it's hard to say the word treat because I, I try and not make food about treats. Yeah. You know, my house, we have treats. You know, comics and magazines and things are, are treats or experiences. Going to the movies, something like that's the treat. And then you, I try not to use that kind of terminology when it comes to, to junk food because it's not a treat. No, and you can see why relationships with food... Yeah, they get really skewed. Yeah. Because you're told it's a treat as a child and then suddenly growing up you're told it's bad and, yeah. and it's going to make you fat or spotty or, you know, so, yeah, it's it's complex, isn't it? Mm. So at the end of every podcast, mm-hmm. I uh, I start three sentences and you finish them. It's really, <laughs> really easy. Okay, she says. <laughs> <laughs> Being a mum means? Being a mum means never stop worrying. 
<laughs> You've got a lot of worrying. Have you had a lot of worrying? But it's good worry. It's good worry, and I wouldn't swap it. Isn't it funny though? Because when Lily does have children, then you'll be worried about Lily and the baby. You know, I wonder. I just wonder whether I'll growing. worry about my grandchildren as much. That'll be an interesting. I'm or probably, even I'm just probably, worry I can't about her imagine it. it. I, mean, I would certainly. Oh gosh, I'd mm. certainly worry about her. But you know, will I worry about her child as much as my children? Probably yes. I mean, I've, yeah. I mean, maybe we can revisit that in years <laughs> there to we come. Go. <laughs> um, since having children, I am a lot more tired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Um, since having children, I live a life that's so much richer. Mm. I mean, they are just the greatest thing, aren't they? You know, it's like it's like living in 3D suddenly and you realise that all your life before that was in 2D and you didn't realise it. That's a really nice way of looking at it. <laughs> um, and I'm happy when? All my children are home. Does that happen very often? No, and that's why, you know, I think for, for you know, listeners who've got younger children, they're thinking, well, what do you mean they're always home? But there will come a time when they're not. And it's rare, and I'm I'm relishing. You know, I, I have key dates in my diary when I know they're all home. When Lily and her husband and her little dog, you know, will be there, and my eldest son has got time off work and he can come, and I've got you know everybody gathered, and and I and I just literally beam. I'm, I'm beaming from ear to ear, and I just you know go around kind of you know singing and smiling, and they, they all kind of look at the thing. Oh, mummy's happy because we're all home, you know. <laughs> and it's rare and it's precious, and it is truly my my happy place. Oh. Well, thank you very much for coming on. No, oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Not at all. Thank you.